part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruiz. Well, have a seat. Amen. Aren't you glad the anchor holds within the veil? <laughs> oh, Well, welcome. If this is your first time, how you doing? You good? Everybody good? All right. I figured most of you would sleep in. Week after Easter, everybody shows up on Easter, and then we take the weekend off. Yeah? Yeah? What's that noise? My dental work's picking up signals in here. Uh, well, welcome. If this is your first time, I hope you got a bulletin. On the inside of the bulletin, there's a small portion on the bottom there. By the way... Uh, many of you probably noticed that this whole thing rips off and you're wondering, why does that whole thing rip off? I get that the bottom rips off because, you know, if I have a prayer request or I want to ask a question about Cornerstone, I can fold that a couple times and I can tear it off. And that's the guest card. And I put that in the brown wooden box at the back of the room. But why, why does this whole thing tear off? It's so you can grab your notes and you don't have to keep this whole thing. If you don't want to, you can just keep your notes if you take them. Uh, and you can keep them in your Bible or wherever you want to keep them. Isn't that cool? Yeah. All right. Thank, thank the Lord for perforation. If you are visiting, that's all we ask of you this morning is that you would uh, give us a record of your visit. We're glad you're here. We'd love to hear how you heard about us, how you found your way here. Here's what you do with this. You put it in the brown wooden box at the back of this room. That's where we give our tithes and offerings. You may have noticed that we didn't pass a plate or interrupt the, the moment of worship uh, as you were here over the last few moments. We didn't want to do that by... Uh, uh, distracting you with an announcement about an offering and this or that. We give our offering as we come in or during worship you could give your offering or on the way out our people give their tithes and offerings with joy there. Uh, just make this your offering to us. If you, if you just have questions about Cornerstone, maybe you've been here a few times, you want to come to the next newcomer's dessert, uh, which the date is listed in your bulletin, or you've been to a newcomer's dessert and now you want to sign up for the foundations class, which is the next step, which is, by the way, all explained on the back of the bulletin, then uh, you can mark that on here, put it in the uh, box, and it'll get to me, and we'll make sure you get all the info about the uh, newcomer's dessert, which is kind of a first step. You just get to come over and eat dessert at our house and um, and ask whatever you want to ask. No holds barred. And then foundations class is kind of the, the next next step from there. So you can sign up for any of that using this. Uh, I hope you enjoyed last week. Did you enjoy last week if you were here? Easter. Rabbi Derek Lehman uh, took my seat here and led us. I, he asked me for a blurb. Uh, to put on his website, you know, kind of one of those pastoral recommendations, you know, so that other pastors might feel comfortable to let uh, him take their place. And uh, so I sent him, I sent him one serious one, and then I had to send him another one that said something to the effect of, you know, all pastors know that the professional or the expert is the guy who comes from out of town, carries a briefcase and wears a tie in, right? I mean, he can say the exact same thing that I say week in and week out, but he's an expert when he comes in like that. And that's kind of the idea I had with Derek, you know, I could have said maybe, all those things to you. Not all of them. I didn't know all of them. I was, I was blown away on many things. Uh, but I could have said some of those things to you, but I didn't have the yarmulke, so you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have uh, bought into it. I don't think he's going to put that recommendation on the website, but, you know, he can take it. I've known Derek a little while now, and uh, he does a great job. We want to have him back. I know many of you would like to have him back. He does a uh, Passover explanation. He'll set the table, and he'll go through all the elements of Passover and explain uh, both their original and then the new covenant uh, aspect of each one of those symbols. And so uh, maybe we'll have him back in the future. 
some of you, uh, knowing that Derek was coming and after Derek was here, uh, you know, I could sense that some of you, wow, is a rabbi coming to our Christian uh, church, you know, and, and there was a little bit of confusion. And, and so is he, what does this mean? Does he, is he is believe Jesus or not believe Jesus? What, what is the whole deal there? And uh, so, uh, I, you know, I thought, well, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if we had, you know, a message to follow up on that? I thought about maybe preaching a message about, you know, how, how, how this fits, how Christianity and Judaism fits, or does it even fit? I mean, I'm sure that for some of us, that's still kind of a question mark. It was a little bit of an odd thing to have a Jewish rabbi come and, and sit here and teach us, especially on Easter, right? Uh, just to be clear, Derek is what you would call either a completed Jew or a Messianic Jew. He's a guy who, who in the nation of Israel saw Jesus for who he actually was. They were looking for a Messiah, and they said, this is him. He, he's here. And so Derek buys in to what some Jews, uh, and that's a whole other sermon for another day, darkened in their understanding, uh, missed in Jesus. They're, they're still waiting on a Messiah and uh, to no avail because he's come and he, he is Jesus. And so that, that's Derek's story in a nutshell. Uh, this morning I want you to know uh, that Christianity is, is Jewish in its roots, and maybe that's not the best way to put it, but, but maybe you, you can grab hold of it that way. You understand that our faith is a Jewish faith. Derek's faith, put another way, is a Christian faith. Some of you are trying to... I see smoke coming out of yours. How, how does that work? Um, maybe last week kind of started for you just this new perspective of what... What our word teaches us, who Jesus was. I mean, maybe you knew he was Jewish, but you didn't know. You didn't really, you didn't understand how that fits together. Our faith, our faith, right here, Cornerstone, this church, has its roots in Judaism. This is the story, you could say, of the nation of Israel and the coming king to the chosen people of God, Israel. And you and I, uh, and I'll just make the blanket assumption that we are all not Jewish. Uh, we are Gentile, right? And, and here's an easy way to figure that out. If you weren't born Jewish, you're not Jewish. You are what the Bible calls a Gentile. Two types of people in the world, Jews and Gentiles, in broad stroke categories, okay? If you weren't born Jewish, you can't become Jewish, okay? Okay. Um, you would be, like me, a Gentile. Maybe you have your heritage in Africa or Ireland or Switzerland or Australia, wherever it is. If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. Our faith, our faith, however, is rooted in the Jewish King, Jesus. Uh, it wouldn't be fair to say we hijacked their religion. That, that wouldn't be the right way to put it. But maybe that helps you a little bit. Our Savior our Savior is a Jew. Uh, don't you wish we had a passage coming up pretty quick that uh, helped us to understand how we fit into that picture? Uh, I'm blown away, you know, all the time. And I'll just tell you, I don't plan things this way. And so I get impressed when God just does this. As I was thinking that last week and hearing some of your questions and just seeing how some of the gears were working in your head, I was saying to myself, well, maybe I should 
pause in Ephesians for a moment and just talk about this. Talk about why Derek is a Messianic Jew, what that means. Talk about how Christianity is born out of Judaism and how there is a link and relationship and what that means and where there is power behind that. Talk about uh, that. Maybe I should pause from Ephesians where we've been tracking through. And then I remembered, uh, I think that is Ephesians. And it just so happens that we are in a passage that might do well to uh, help your understanding of where we fit with the chosen nation of Israel. God's good. God's good. We're in chapter 2, the book of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, there's some around the chairs. Uh, Grab one of those. If you don't actually have a Bible of your own, you can keep that one. It's our gift to you. Uh, If not, and you just want to look on the screen, the uh, passage will be up on the screen, but you can't take the screen home, so get a Bible, all right? Ephesians chapter 2, let me tell you what this is about. 1 through 10 is where we were last. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, we find that we have peace with God. Here's where God has brought us from, and here's how we have peace with Him. That's 1 through 10, summarily. 11 through 22, the rest of chapter 2, is how now we have peace with one another, also through Christ. Well, that's good. That's a nice little outline, isn't it? Remember what I said early on when we started in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 2, or 3, essentially you get no commands. And so uh, you're good to go once again today. Paul's not going to hit us with any major convictional commands that we got to walk out of here saying, man, I'm not doing that. It's all truth. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, truth. Now, right living, chapters 3 and on, gets based on the truth that he establishes and lays in the foundations of 1, 2, and 3. So just... Just sit, enjoy, absorb truth. And, and here, here's, the, here's the, the hard part, though. You've got to let the truth affect your life. It's got to change your heart, your mind, and your walk as you go out of here. And I think, isn't it, that's the last words of the previous section. Verse 10, chapter 2. Walk now in these things. So our walk... Our living this thing out is based on the foundation of the truth. 10 through 22, here's the problem. Paul is writing to a church that is full of Gentiles. But we've still got a faith that is in its roots, Jewish. Can you see the problem? Right? Can you see the folks coming from two different families, two different cultures, two different nations, two different backgrounds now being thrown together and they've got to figure it out. And Paul, a Jew, having the commission to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the Messiah as the actual savior, his commission was to the Gentiles. He's got to go to the Gentiles and say, here's why you get to be part of the family now. Here is the rich heritage of your inheritance based on your adoption. That's that's what we get as Gentiles. We get adopted into the family, the nation. We get engrafted, Scripture would say, into the olive tree that is Israel. We get grafted in. And so we're kind of outsiders reading the story and someone, namely Jesus, looks out and says, hey, you're welcome in now. You are welcome in. Paul has to write to these people, and you can you can imagine the conflict. You can imagine the cultural clashes going on. 
You can imagine that Paul has to say to his brothers, Jews, hey, listen, you gotta, you gotta, you got to deal with this. You've got to come to grips that grace has been extended to a people who has not historically been a people, who have not historically had a name like you have had, who didn't receive the oracles, who don't have the prophets. You've got to accept those who were not a people as your own people. That's going to be tough. And he's got to say to the Gentiles, you haven't been a people. You've come from confusion all the way back to the Tower of Babel. That's where your heritage and my heritage goes back to. It doesn't go back to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It doesn't go back to the promises of God. It doesn't go back to the, to the truth in the, in the covenant, in the commandments. That's not where our heritage goes back. But as adopted sons and daughters, guess what? We get the riches of that inheritance that once was not ours. He's going to tell us that those who are far off get drawn near. So as we get in this, let me just go ahead and give you a hint here. You and I were far off. But here's the good news. Verse 11. Remember that formerly you. Who's the you? The trick to understanding Ephesians 1 especially, but also Ephesians 2 and 3, is getting your pronouns right. You got to get your pronouns nailed down. Who is the you here in verse 11? Luckily, he he puts in a little uh, parenthetical note here and he tells us, Gentiles, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh. What does that mean? Why does he say Gentiles in the flesh? By nature, by birth, we weren't born Jews. We're Gentiles born that way. But it's of our flesh. It's also, I think, meant to communicate that that's not necessarily true of your heart. I'll show you why here in just a moment. Gentiles in the flesh who were called, and by called he means uh, probably in a bitter, negative, uh, condescending way. You were called the uncircumcised. By guess who? The nation of Israel. Those uncircumcised dogs. A people who's not even a people. They have no, no inheritance, no promises, no covenant, no prophets, no, no commands given to them. The uncircumcised. Why the uncircumcised? Called the uncircumcised by the so-called. Isn't that interesting how how Paul throws that in there? A Jew himself. By the so-called circumcised. Who are the so-called circumcised? That's the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel had as their mark and seal commanded by God that they would be circumcised in the flesh. Now, I don't want to go too far into uh, helping you understand what this means. But it it is the promise the symbolic promise in their flesh that the seed of the Messiah, the seed that would come through the lineage of David, would come through the nation of Israel. God would provide a son for redemption, for substitution, and he would come, be provided through the nation of Israel. And the mark of circumcision was a reminder that you are the marked nation. I will provide this seed through you. You getting that? And so this was their, this was their in a sense, claim to fame. This was their claim to the promise. And so all the rest of us who wouldn't be circumcised because that wasn't a part of our uh, early childhood, religiously speaking, uh, then we were separated 
We were outside of the nation of Israel. They had the promise of the coming Messiah. And they were marked, sealed with that promise. Um, and so you and I became the uncircumcised. That was our nickname, so to speak, in a derogatory way. And Paul's going to clarify. You Gentiles, you remember, you were called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is circumcision performed in the flesh by human hands. He puts in another little jab, I think, here over to the Jew just to make sure that they understand. I'm talking to the Gentiles here, but make sure we... He said, it's almost like Paul's saying, I can't let this go. You're calling these guys uncircumcised by you who are so-called circumcised. You may be in your flesh, but we find out in other places that God wants us to be to be separated, cut apart in our hearts. That's the real point. And the circumcision you may be doing, well, it's only of the flesh as well. So these guys over here, Gentiles, born of the flesh, so what? You call them the uncircumcised, you're the so-called circumcised, but remember, the only circumcision that some of you have is just in your flesh. You see what he's doing here? He's leveling the playing field. Verse 12, so Gentiles, remember this, that you were at that time when we were the uncircumcised. At that time we were, and he's going to name some things for us here, not very flattering things. We were separate from Christ. Is that right? Were we separate from Christ? We sure were. The Christ, the Messiah, was not to come through your uh, African, Irish, Australian, whatever your heritage is, it was not promised to you. He was not coming through your lineage. You were in your birth separate from the promise of the Christ. You were also, look what it says, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. As a part of the nation of Israel, you, uh, you received the common good of the nation of Israel. There were some common blessings, protections over the nation of Israel as God's chosen people. And as a Jew, you benefited just because you were a Jew. And just because God had chosen that people and decided to be gracious to them. Um, we were excluded from that. The truth is that that wasn't, that wasn't part of the deal we got. Okay. Separate. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise. Strangers to the covenants of promise. Did we have any promises? I didn't have any promises. No promises. No covenant between my ancestors and God. <laughs> no. None. Israel had them. Separate, excluded, strangers. Look what else. We had no hope. No hope. No promise, no covenant. Guess what? No hope. There's nothing for us from our heritage to look forward to. I mean, there was no hope of a coming Messiah who would reconcile me and my Creator. We had no hope. Finally, end of verse 12, look at this. You were without God in the world. Now, that's a lonely place to be. The status of our story summarized in that one verse. That was us. That's hard to swallow. But the truth can set us free even in the hard truths. So that's the hard truth, but hold on. Thank the Lord for verse 13. 
Because the next two words change everything. But, what's the word? Now. (laughs) But now. You want to know the truth now? Paul, am I a separated, excluded stranger without hope and without God now? No, that's not the truth now. Here's the truth now. But God, now in Christ Jesus. And notice that it in every verse to follow, the qualification comes not in your performance, but it comes in what Jesus Christ has done. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were, what is it? Far off. Who's that? That's you and I. Formerly far off have been brought near. Passive tense. It's done for us. You didn't draw near, by the way. The grace of God brings us near through adoption. You you are brought near. And how is it, in case you missed it at the beginning of verse 13, when he said that now in Christ Jesus... It brings it back again at the end of verse 13. We're brought near by what? The blood of Christ. The sacrifice accomplishes something here that has never before been possible. Verse 14, for he himself, who's he? That's Christ. He himself is our peace. Now, would you notice that that next pronoun is plural? He's not your peace. Whose peace is he, Paul? Is he the Jews' peace? Is he the Gentiles' peace? He's our peace. Here was my state, Paul says. Here was your state, Gentile. But now, in Christ, through his blood, he himself being our peace, he made both groups into one and broke down the barrier and the dividing wall. You know, in the reconstructed, uh, not Solomon's temple, but the temples that would be rebuilt later after, after being uh, torn down. Uh, early on, those temples would have a dividing wall to keep any Gentiles from drawing near to the holy place. Drawing near to any of the holy places. It, this may be part of what Paul is inferring right here by this barrier, this dividing wall. And what he says here is, listen, uh, Brother Jew, new brother Gentile, um, our peace together. We're not talking about peace between you and God. That's chapter 2, 1 through 10. Our peace, Jew and Gentile alike, all of us, is, is not in an edict alone. It's not in a commandment alone. It's not in duty. It's not out of responsibility alone. Would you notice where our peace is specifically. Our peace is in Christ himself. Peace gets found in a man crucified on a cross. And the barriers, the dividing walls, they get knocked down. 15, how did he do it? By abolishing his flesh, in his flesh, the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances Reflecting back onto all the rules and regulations that Israel was given by God and added to. So that in who? Himself. Very specific here. He might make the two into one new man. And this is the only time that I know of that this phrase is used in Scripture. What the uh, Greek grammatical guys call a hapax legonoma. 
It's a one-time deal. It's the only time Paul uses this language. We become not two, not separate, but by his flesh, he himself took the two and made one new man out of Jews and Gentiles alike. Thus, establishing, what's the word? Peace. This piece, well, that's done. We also get this piece right here. Do we need that piece? Do we need it? I mean, does our world want a piece somehow, some way on this level? Even if they don't know about any kind of peace on, on this level, does their heart yearn for a peace between humanity? I mean, think of the songs. I won't sing them for you. Think of the songs about world peace. Throughout the generations, each generation comes up with their song, right? Uh, my generation's song was the uh, We Are the World song. Yeah. And we got all the guys together, and it was beautiful for about 20 minutes. They all recorded the song, and then they were done. I heard a preacher say, uh, preaching this passage, he said, the closest we've come to this was in the civil rights movement in America. When you had a guy, not a politician, you had a, you had a, a black Baptist preacher quoting scripture, leading this thing. And he, and, he, and he brought race reconciliation right right to our hands. And what he said was interesting. He said he, said he set it up on a tee for us or, or he, he put the basketball right, right on the rim for us. And all the church had to do was slam dunk it by walking it out, by saying, this guy's right. What he's saying is right. He's basing it on gospel truth, and that's right. Where should it be true? It should be true in the church, if anywhere. And the guy said, we missed it. We, we muffed that kick. We choked. Had the church come after that and been a reflection of one new man, imagine what that could have done. And then he said this, and he said, since we, didn't, since we didn't take the opportunity, we lost our moral voice, if you look back. Right about that time in America, we, we the church, Christians specifically, lost our moral voice. <laughs> and he said, you know who picked it up? Hollywood. Hollywood. And they took it and they ran with it. And they are our new moral voice. Interesting. Verse 16 Christ has established peace and now might reconcile them both in one body to God through, how did he do it? The cross. Notice that our efforts aren't what's highlighted here. It keeps going back to Christ. What he did on the cross, by it, put the dividing wall, the enmity, to death once again. 17, he quotes Isaiah 57. You'll probably notice in your, in your Bible, that it's in all caps. That means that it's a quote somewhere from the Old Testament. You usually want to look those up and see what the context was of that quote. You know what the context of Isaiah 57 is? The nation of Israel had been, um, they had had a hard time. And the nation had been splintered and separated and tribes were here and tribes were there. And some of them were beginning to come back. I mean, oversimplify what was going on in Isaiah 57. Some of them were beginning to come back. And Isaiah wrote to the nation, prophesied to the nation. And he had to preach to them, listen, you've got family who've been afar off. 
because of persecution for years now. But they've got a chance to come back. They've got a chance to draw near once again, to come back home. And imagine what happened. They come home and they threw a big reunion and everybody was happy now. There was, there was conflict. You had, you had nation of Israel Jews who didn't have to leave, and so now they're locals. <laughs> and we got strangers, foreigners coming back in. Are they family? Yeah, well, they're family, but man, they've been living over in Syria. You know, they, they're, they're one step away from Gentiles. You see the conflict? That's Isaiah 57. That's where this verse comes from. And Paul takes it, and he doesn't pull it out of context, but he just, he just twists it just enough so that we can grab the perspective of Jew and Gentile now. Here's what it says. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away. Who's that? That's us. And peace to those who were near. That's the Jew. For through him, verse 18, we both have our, plural noun again, access. Is there a wall in the way? No wall. Free access. How do we get access? Through the one Spirit to the Father. So then, verse 19, summarize your truth here, Paul. You, who's you? It's you and I now. Listen up, because this is truth for you. You're no longer a stranger. You're no longer an alien. You are fellows. Fellow citizens with the holy ones. That's what that word saints literally means. Your fellow citizens. And are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the corner, meaning the corner stone. In whom? Whom being the person of Christ. The whole building is being fitted together and is growing into, look at what we get to be all together. We get to be a holy temple in the Lord. What is a holy temple? He unpacks it in 22. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So what do we get? As adopted sons and daughters, is there a heritage for the adopted? There is. What is the heritage of the adopted? It's the heritage of the older brother. Who's the older brother? Israel. We get grafted in. And what's true of our older brother, what's true of our father, our adopted father is now true of us. We get to drive his car, eat his food, live in his house. We get to uh, get a portion of his inheritance when he dies. We're sons and daughters just like those who were sons and daughters born in the flesh. Uh, in other places, Paul would go back and he would say, listen, we, we who are Jewish, we're not, all, we're not all circumcised in our hearts. We may be in the flesh, but not in our hearts. We're not set apart. We haven't cut away our flesh from our hearts. We have hearts of stone, some of us. There are some Gentiles who are circumcised in their hearts. God does that. It all comes through Christ. If you went back in these verses, you start, you start to notice verse uh, 11. It starts to point 
not to ourselves, not in the flesh, not anything performed by human hands. Twelve, nothing comes without God. Thirteen, it's in Christ, by His blood. Fourteen, He Himself, our peace. Uh, Fifteen, His flesh, He Himself, making the two one new man. And it's on and on and on. Sixteen, it's His cross. Seventeen, He preaches it. Eighteen, it's through Him. Uh, it's it's by His work, by His doing. What do we what do we call that? Give it a one word. It's just it's just grace. That's what it is. It's grace to the Jew. It's grace to the Gentile. You chosen nation of Israel, it's still by grace. You Gentile, it's definitely by grace. What is that supposed to do? It puts us all on on the grace field, and we all just say, "Man, I love you, and I can love you, and I can love you," and this becomes the divine mystery unfolded and the miracle of the one new man by the blood of the cross. It's the church. We are the miracle that Jew and Gentile, black, white, young, old, no matter what our heritage gets, uh, gets its roots from, we have new roots. It all goes now. It all goes back to Christ. The foretold Messiah, coming King. That gets to be true about us. It gets to be true about you. Um, I grew up in a little town, North Florida, St. Augustine. Some of you may have heard of it. Uh, pretty historical town. It's the kind of town where they, uh, sort of like a Savannah or a Charleston. Uh, a lot of sightseeing to do, a lot of historical stuff. Uh, uh, oldest continuous settlement in our country. We're at Ponce de Leon landed. Fountain of Youth, all that stuff. Outback Crab Shack. Mm. Uh, they take these travel trains around town. If you go and you pay like $800 a person or something silly, you could take a travel train and some guy on the front, he'll tell you about every building and he'll show you the oldest jail in our country. He'll show you the oldest schoolhouse in our country, the oldest house, the oldest this, the oldest that. He'll take you to the fountain of youth and you drink the sulfur water and nothing happens. And uh, they drive you by all the cannons and you see the pirates walking down the street and you see the pirate ship and you can do all that stuff and you can eat all the good food. But if you take that travel train towards the end, right before they're about to drop you off, they go by this, this just house. I don't even know whose house it is. It's just somebody's house. And they always make this stop. And it's in the strangest place, but they stop in front of this house and they, and they point out to the very famous St. Augustine palm oak tree. Have you ever heard of a palm oak tree? No, it, palm oak tree don't exist, technically speaking. But they stop because uh, there's this tree, there's this oak tree, and about 15 feet up where the tree splits, somehow, some way, a palm tree rooted itself right there. And there's this full-grown palm now out 15 feet up in this oak tree growing out, and it's become a landmark. The owner can't cut that tree down if he wants to. Because the travel train guy has got to be able to stop there and talk about the palm oak. And uh, it's become, it's, it's a sight to see. Everyone's amazed, you know. Forget Ponce de Leon, forget the Spaniards. I want to see the palm oak. And they stop every time. And every time Kimberly gets annoyed, and, you know, I got somebody new and I'm driving through town. I stop and I show them the palm oak. We drive by, here they say It's very world famous. It's silly. But it's become a sight to see. That's my point. Where am I going with this? Here's where I'm going. The church is designed to be a sight to see. 
Might I even say that the church is, is intended by God to be some strange thing that the world looks at like this. What's going on over there? What's going on over there that that guy and that guy can sit next to each other, laugh, smile, hug? That that, that, that young black man is going to stop and change that old white woman's tire? I mean, when you see things like that, what do you think? That's, there's something special oddly, strangely special going on in those situations. Does our world hunger for that, desire that? Are they, even in their darkness, do they instinctively know there's something right about that? They do. They do. True story. Um, World War II. um, American soldier was killed in action. Uh, It was in a European theater. And... um, they didn't have uh, they didn't have the opportunity at the time to uh, send him back home, but they wanted to give him a burial, and so a few of his buddy soldiers took his body, and there was a nearby um, Catholic church, and they knocked on the door, and this elderly Catholic priest came to the door, and they said, "Listen, our um, our buddy was killed, and uh, we want to know if we can bury him here in your cemetery." And the uh, priest asked, "Is he?" Uh, is he Catholic? And uh, they checked his dog tags, and, and no, he wasn't. He wasn't a Catholic. And uh, he said, "I'm sorry, but I, I can't bury him here if he's not he's not of the Catholic Church." And he said, uh, "Here's what I will do. I'll, I'll let you guys bury him just outside the fence of the uh, cemetery." And so they did. They needed a place to lay him to rest, and so they dug outside the fence there of the uh, cemetery, and they buried their comrade. Went back. To battle, came back a few days later to uh, to do some more work there at the graveside and to and to pay respects with some other folks um, at his gravesite, and uh, they couldn't find where he was buried. They looked all outside of this fence and they could not find where this man had been put to rest. And so uh, one of the guys he went and knocked on the the door, and the priest came to the door. He was dirty and shoveled and tired looking, had been out working all day. When those guys left, he, his consciousness started eating to him and he knew instinctively that there was something wrong about burying that guy outside the cemetery. And the uh, soldier said, hey, listen, we can't, we can't find our friend. Where, where's our friend? His, his grave is gone. And the priest wiped his hands and bowed his head and he said, it's not gone. He said, he's right where you put him. No, no, he's not. We walked all the way around the outside of the fence. We did not find our friend. Where did you move him? He said, I did not move your friend. I moved the fence. Move the fence. <laughs> Christ is by his blood in, in the cross. He's moved the fence for you and I, Gentiles. We get to be included. We get all the benefits of the chosen nation of Israel. We're no longer strangers, separated. We're no longer far off. We have been, passive tense, brought near. He's done it. In Christ, we've been brought near. Let's pray. Lord, I'll give just a moment for you to 
maybe challenge each each of us here to our own prayer. In our prayers, we very often ask you to do things for us or we often ask you to do things in us. So let me give just a moment for these who are here based on the truth in your word this morning. Let me give them just a moment to, uh, in silence, ask you what their prayer ought to be as they leave this place. You want to lead us, Lord, I'm sure. And maybe you want to lead each of us in a slightly different way. But we're going to be silent for just a moment as we listen to you. We want you to, we want you to give us the prayer that should be the prayer of our heart. This, this closing prayer, it should be, should be a prayer you give us. So church, take a moment and just ask, ask the Holy Spirit to give you the prayer based on these truths that should be true of you. And I'll, I'll close us in prayer in just a moment. Dear Lord, here's, here's my prayer. Move our fences. Fences we have to brothers and sisters because of whatever differences. Fences we have towards the lukewarm, maybe. And the fences we have for the lost. Dear God, move our fences. And in these final moments, Lord, would you, would you point our fences out to us? Wherever they are, Lord, make them clear. Challenge us at those points. Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand? We're going to do one more song here before we're dismissed. And uh, you got just a couple more minutes before you can escape. And uh, by escape, I mean that time for the next just few moments where uh, you, you, uh, you can't get busy enough to quench the spirit as he whispers to you. So let him let him whisper. Let him whisper. Whatever he wherever he challenges you, wherever he encourages you, just let him speak. All right? If you want to sing, you can sing. If you want to pray, just pray. Take these last moments to listen to the Lord. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. 
To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.